This is The Guardian. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week he has a candid conversation with guests, including Prime Ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. Standing on top of the Thwaites Glacier in Antarctica, you would probably describe it as a big white wasteland a flat sheet stretching endlessly in every direction. But despite its remote inhospitality, what's happening at the Thwaites Glacier is critical for the rest of the planet, because it's melting fast. Not only does Thwaites contain enough water to raise sea levels by more than 50 centimetres, it acts a bit like a cork, holding back other glaciers that make up the West Antarctic ice sheet. And this means that if Thwaites Glacier breaks apart, the loss of others could follow, eventually putting us at risk of catastrophic global sea level rises of several metres, leading some to call it the most important glacier in the world. So, last week, on the 100th anniversary of Ernest Shackleton's death, scientists set off for Antarctica to understand how Thwaites is melting and how quickly it's happening. And they're taking along with them what is surely the most famous robotic sub in the world, Boaty McBoatface. From The Guardian, I'm Ian Sample, and this is Science Weekly. Dr. Rob Larter is a marine geophysicist working at the British Antarctic Survey and a member of the research group that's headed out to explore the Thwaites Glacier. This time, Rob isn't going to Antarctica himself, but he has visited the glacier several times before. One thing you have to do usually to get into the Thwaites Glacier region is you have to go through a sea ice barrier, thick extensive sea ice on the outer shelf of the Amundsen Sea and so that's a first challenge and moment of excitement and then it is amazing to see such a remote place and to be there and think you're with this small community of people with nobody else around for hundreds of kilometers often when you're on a ship. 
Rob, tell me a bit about the Thwaites Glacier, this vast lump of ice. So the, the simple comparison we use is that Thwaites Glacier is a little bit larger than Florida and a little bit smaller than Great Britain, the main island of the UK. Essentially, it's a very flat, white wasteland. On one side of the glacier, there are a couple of mountains that are volcanic edifices, but those are the only bits of solid rock poking out in the region. Quite unusually for Antarctica, it has an awful lot of snowfall. People working on shore, they have to be prepared for their camp and everything, all their equipment to get buried and then to have to dig it out. And there will be times when they really can't work because it's so windy that they just have to batten everything down. Thwaites has been called the most important glacier in the world, and even the Doomsday Glacier, though I'm not sure if scientists themselves ever call it that. Why is this piece of ice so significant? We're trying to get away from the term Doomsday Glacier because it implies an inevitability about what's going to happen in the future. And, uh, of course, the whole point of having such a concerted effort uh, of scientific investigation is to find out what's inevitable and what's not inevitable and how fast things are going to change. So we would like to get away from that a little. It's really important because Thwaites Lassia and the ones adjacent to it they constitute the biggest uncertainty in predicting future sea level rise. At the moment, Thwaites Glacier and its neighbours, they contribute about 10% of the current rate of sea level rise. Thwaites alone is about 4%. But this is a contribution to sea level rise that has only really developed over the last 30 years. The question is, where is this going to end up? And it must be a a tricky thing in communicating the importance of the kind of melting that you're observing with Thwaites in that the sea level rises that it's contributing to are sort of measured in in millimetres per year. And that can easily be dismissed by some, I'm sure. But what could these kinds of sea level rises mean in, in the longer term? When you say to people, oh, sea level is rising at 3.7 millimetres a year, which is the figure in this year's IPCC assessment report, that really doesn't sound very much. But what it does do is greatly change the recurrence frequency of coastal flooding. If your once a, a century flooding event involves a water level that's you know a metre higher than your once a decade event, and if sea level eventually rises by a metre, then what was a flooding event that would recur once a century now happens once a decade and if you take things a little bit further your once a century event has become an annual event the research you're involved with will run from the u.s icebreaker the nathaniel b palmer which just a few days ago left chile bound for western antarctica what are you hoping to find out on this latest mission the main objectives of this research cruise are to study the water masses in front of Thwaites Glacier and indeed underneath its floating ice shelf. This is really important because one thing we have learned over the last couple of decades is that the real cause of ice loss is relatively warm water that's coming onto the continental shelf and impinging on the front of the glacier that's coming from the deep ocean. 
So it's it's very important to understand how this water is accessing the base of the glacier and how it's interacting with the base of the ice shelf once it gets under there. Another thing we do is collect sediment cores from the seafloor, which contain an archive of changes going back decades, centuries and millennia, which is very important because the good observational satellite records only extend back over about 30 years. I'm interested in how you're going to be sort of gathering all this information on this research cruise. And I understand the autonomous sub famously named Boating McBoatface is going to be lending a hand. Can you just lay out for us a bit how the information gets gathered using these different types of equipment and apparatus? Yeah, so Boating McBoatface and there's another autonomous underwater vehicle, a Hoogin vehicle. Uh, the Boating McBoatface, or its official name is, is Autosub Long Range. This is a vehicle that can go on very long missions, multiple days, and should be able to go very far underneath the ice shelf. Whereas the Hugin, its missions will be less than a day, and that has on board some powerful sonars for mapping the bottom of the ice shelf and the seafloor. Now, the thing about these autonomous underwater vehicles, you don't get the data back until you get the instrument back, and if you get the instrument back. So there is a lot of jeopardy involved. You know, people will be waiting with great anticipation to get them back on board and get the data out of them. Why do we need to get this information about Thwaites? Once it all comes back, and let's hope it, it all does come back, what can you then start to do with it to try and improve your understanding of Thwaites? It's quite fundamental observations of what are the water temperatures, where is the water flowing? And these can then be used to see whether the observations are consistent with the models, and if not, how to tweak those models to make them more consistent with the observations that we have now. And those ocean models tell you about what the melt rates are going to be at the base of the ice shelf going forwards, and then those melt rates are absolutely critical parameters going into the ice sheet models, which are going to tell us how much ice is going to be lost, how quickly, and how that's going to contribute to future sea level rise. Can you perceive how it's changing yet yourself? I mean, do scientists ever talk about the differences that they've seen because of the climate crisis? Yes, I mean, all the time. Everybody who works in the polar regions is very acutely aware of the changes going on. Over the last few years, I've been on a German research cruise and on the German cruise and on the, the first two Thwaites cruises, we went and worked at the front of Pine Island Glacier, which is the neighbour of Thwaites Glacier. It's, a, it's also a very large West Antarctic glacier that's changing in much the same way. Each of the times I went back, the ship to go to the front of the glacier, we were working in an area which the previous year had been ice shelf every time you go the ice fronts are going to be further back towards the ice sheet and uh, people might go there in a few years and there might be no ice shelf left you might be sailing directly to the front of the glacier there's a sort of sadness in seeing it because every time you go to this area now and you see things there and, and in many ways it's quite aesthetically stunning. The views that you get in any particular working season there, nobody will ever see again. Thanks a lot, Rob. Thank you. 
Thanks again to Dr. Rob Larter. If you'd like to read more about the Thwaites Glacier, we've put a link to a recent article about it on the podcast webpage at theguardian.com. Just before you go, I wanted to let you know that if you heard our episode in early December about the James Webb Space Telescope, I've got some good news. It's now completed its very complex deployment sequence, meaning it's fully unfolded and taken its first and most challenging step towards observing the mysteries of our universe. If you didn't catch that episode, do go back and take a listen to find out what the James Webb Space Telescope will be searching for when it begins observations this summer. And that's it for today. As always, we'll be back on Thursday. See you then. This is The Guardian. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week, he has a candid conversation with guests, including prime ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>